Thanks for checking out this week's podcast from Center Street Church. We pray it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. Harvesting wisdom for daily living from the book of Proverbs. And uh, presently we're looking at the theme that we see sprinkled not only throughout the book of Proverbs, but uh, the rest of Scripture. And that is choosing your life partner. And uh, just to give you a heads up, next month at our night of worship, we're going to hear the powerful testimony of a man uh, who was once committed um, to another major world religion and uh, who was introduced to Jesus and is now a fully devoted follower of Jesus, sharing uh, his new faith in Christ at university campuses and so forth. The message is going to be on the greatest purpose in life. Uh, Also in December, uh, I'm going to be giving part three of Choosing a Mate. Um, I hadn't planned on speaking more on this topic, but based on all of the questions and the issues raised uh, in my interaction with many of you, I decided I needed to do that. And so in December, um, um, at the NOW service on December 3rd, uh, part three on Choosing a Mate. Now, the reality is choosing a life partner is a huge decision, and yet so many people make this life-impacting decision um, really more on the basis of emotion uh, rather than rational thought. Uh, Well, God does not leave us fending for ourselves in this matter of selecting our life partner. The Bible provides wisdom and direction for us. Now, last time in part one of this series, I shared the first two principles that we see in Scripture on this theme, which you can watch online. I'm going to quickly review those two points for the benefit of those of you who weren't here. Um, The first principle is this. Be content as a single before you seek your mate. In Philippians 4, verse 11, the Apostle Paul says, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. And the secret he's referring to here is Jesus Christ. In fact, in Philippians 1.21, Paul testified, for to me to live is Christ. That was the secret to contentment in his life, being dialed into Christ. And he's saying here that the ultimate contentment and satisfaction in life will not be found in temporary things. It's not going to be found in your work or in your money and your possessions or your success or your position or or your friendships or even your family or your marital status. True contentment and satisfaction in life can only be found through having a close friendship with the one who made you. And that is our creator God, Jesus Christ. If you are counting on marriage and your marital partner to make you happy, expect to be unhappy most of the time. Because no one but Jesus can, make, can meet your deepest needs. Now, to be clear, it's normal and natural for most people uh, to want to marry. But Paul is saying here, it is important that you know yourself first and are content with who you are in Christ as a person and as a single person before you seek to bring someone else into your world. That's principle number one. Be content as a single before 
you seek your mate. Principle number two is this. Seek someone who is spiritually compatible with you. 2 Corinthians chapter 6.14 says this. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? Now to be clear, Paul is not saying that an unbelieving boyfriend or girlfriend or spouse is inferior or is second rate as a person. In this passage, he's basically saying, look, it just makes good sense to be on the same page spiritually with your partner, to have the same spiritual convictions, the same spiritual values and goals. Because if you aren't, you won't together as a couple be able to enjoy a relationship with or be influenced by the person one of you considers to be your closest friend, namely Jesus Christ. And that's a problem. You know, over the years, I've had numerous men and women share with me how hard and how unbelievably lonely it is for them to be in a marriage where they essentially have to keep their relationship with Jesus private, outside of their marriage. How difficult it is to go through crisis, a health crisis, a, a, a crisis with, uh, with uh, a family crisis, and not be able to join together with your spouse and take it to God in prayer. How confusing it is for their children to have one parent and set of grandparents often pray, be part of the church, and, and regularly talk about their relationship with Jesus like they just had breakfast with him that morning. While the other parent and set of grandparents communicate either with their words or their actions that they don't believe or have any interest in Jesus or the church. I'll never forget what a mother shared with me a few years ago in tears, right up here. Her son came to church with her faithfully, and not only came to believe in Jesus, but had a vibrant relationship with Jesus, often having spiritual conversations with his mom during the week and praying with his mom about stuff during the week. When he was around 12 years of age, the age that most boys absolutely adore and idolize their fathers. He approached his father and said, Dad, why don't you come to church with us? And his father said, Son, I don't believe that stuff. I think that faith stuff is mostly for women like your mother and for people who can't think for themselves and they need a crutch. Can you imagine the impact that would have on a 12-year-old kid to think now he's a wimp going to church with his mom? And she told me with tears in her eyes that, that from that day on, her son began to walk away from God in the church. She was absolutely heartbroken, not just about her son, but for ignoring God's warning to not marry someone that you're spiritually incompatible with. You see, God's not trying to make life difficult for us or spoil our fun when he gives us negative commands like this. 
He's essentially wanting to spare us from having to endure the grief, the loneliness, and the spiritual confusion that comes when a couple are spiritually incompatible. Thirdly, seek someone with godly character. Your Christian faith needs to be a high priority in selecting a spouse, but it's not the only consideration for marriage. I mean, because someone says that they're a Christian doesn't mean that they will be a good husband or wife. You need to carefully and prayerfully evaluate their character. Proverbs 12 verse 4 says, A wife of noble character is her husband's crown, but a disgraceful wife is like decay in his bones. It's like a cancer that eats you from the inside out. That's what bad character is. And the same, of course, could be said about husbands who lack character as well. Character is who you are when no one is watching. Take the matter of where your girlfriend or boyfriend are really at spiritually. Again, 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. Put in the positive what's really being said here is be sure that the person that you marry is not just a Christian, but is actually at the same place you are at spiritually. In other words, if you're a vibrant, fully devoted follower of Christ, then marry someone who is as well. Or at least on the same trajectory of growth as you are in your spiritual life. I mean, here's the thing. Just because someone grew up going to church... Just because someone grew up in a Christian family doesn't mean that they have a vibrant relationship with Jesus. It's easy for someone to say, I want to serve God with my life. It's easy for someone to say these kind of things, but how do they spend their time outside of work? What makes their adrenaline flow? How passionate are they really in their day-to-day life about the Lord? How drawn are they to prayer? to praying with you, and to daily reading and meditating on Scripture? How frequently do they talk to you about what God is saying to them through their time in the Word? How often do you see them responding in obedience to what God's calling them to do? How passionate are they about worshiping God together with others like we are right now in this place? Or being in community with other believers and together serving God, not only in the church, but also in the community. You see, talk is cheap, but you can't argue with a life that's well lived. Or how does he approach his studies or his work? Is he responsible? Does he have an industrious attitude? Can he hold down a job? Does she respect those in authority? A person who can't take correction, who is negative, who has a spirit of entitlement, who's prickly and reactionary to any kind of constructive feedback, will often find herself struggling with keeping a job. Proverbs 13, verse 13 says, He who scorns instruction will pay for it. If you want to know how your spouse will treat you, how your spouse will speak to you and about you to others one day, 
Take note at how they treat and or speak about their parents, about family members, about their boss, about co-workers. How does he treat children? Is he comfortable around them? Are children attracted to him? How does he treat, how does she treat waiters, custodians, receptionists? If he's too lazy to clean up his table at Burger King, what makes you think he won't leave stuff around the house expecting someone else to pick it up, who, by the way, would be you? <laughs> if she does kind things for you, if she's always serving you, but you don't see any evidence in her life of her serving others or serving in some ministry, chances are really high the day will come, probably a few weeks into your marriage, when she won't have a lot of enthusiasm about serving you any longer either. Another area you want to take note of is how your future mate relates to the opposite sex. There's a huge difference between friendliness and flirtatiousness. Learn to distinguish between the two. Some people are overly controlling and jealous of the person that they are courting, accusing them of flirting, when in fact all they want to do is be friendly and kind. On the other hand, watch out for the person with the wandering eye the gal who dresses in such a way to draw undue attention to herself and certain parts of her anatomy, the fellow who is always looking past you, at himself in the mirror behind you. You ever been in a situation like that? It's happened to me, can't believe it. Like, who is it that you're looking at? And I look, there's just a mirror there. He's looking at himself. Or be cautious of the fellow who's always rubbernecking at attractive women as he walks down the mall or drives down the road. No one wants to marry a control freak. But at the same time, no one wants to marry a flirt or a person who thinks that he or she is God's gift to humanity. Another way to really assess a person's character is to look at their close friends They may have lots of acquaintances, but do they have any true friends? If they don't, you may want to be just a tad concerned. If they have friends, what kind of people are they? How do they act? What do they tend to talk about? What do they value? What do they spend most of their time doing outside of work? If you aren't drawn to his friends, if you're embarrassed to be around his friends, see that as a potential red flag. Proverbs 13:20 says, "He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm." What that's really saying is, don't underestimate how much close friends shape 
a person's character and also how much close friends reflect a person's true character. Another area to look at is how disciplined is a person with their money? How important is money to her? Is she always caught up with stuff, wanting more stuff? Is he a good steward of his money? Is he generous with what he has? Proverbs 11.25 says, A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Is he disciplined enough to delay gratification of things that he wants and desires, including, including having sex with you before marriage? Or are his needs and his wants always center stage with him? Is he self-controlled in other areas of his life? Or is he often argumentative, quick to get angry and to take offense? Ask yourself, is she a giver or a taker? Be honest with yourself. If two years into your marriage with this person that you're thinking about marrying, you came down with some illness, let's say multiple sclerosis, does your future partner have the character and the servant heart to walk with you, support you, and remain faithful to you? Or from what you've already seen, would you have to admit they probably would be very unhappy, they would feel incredibly burdened giving you the care and the support that you need, and perhaps in time they'd probably even walk away from your marriage. So how do you know if you're dating a taker? Well, let's say you have plans to meet the person you're dating after work at a special restaurant to celebrate your six-month anniversary of going out together. You finally finish an unplanned, ridiculously long conversation with your boss. You look at your watch and, oh, no, you're already 15 minutes late for your date. You race out of the office, you lose your footing, and you fall down the stairs, brutally injuring yourself. As you lay there, you pull out your cell phone, you call your loved one, apologizing for, for being late, and letting her know that, or him know, that you just fell down the stairs and you will get to the restaurant just as soon as you bandage all of your gushing wounds <laughs> and mop up all the blood on the floor. Now, if your date is a taker, her first or his first words will be something like, I don't understand why you didn't call me sooner when you knew you are going to be late. Or, so, when do you think you're going to show up here? I mean, I feel like an idiot sitting here all by myself. That would be a taker. A giver, on the other hand, would say, oh my goodness, are you okay? You know, I, I, don't worry about being late. Do you, do you want me to come over and help you or at least come over and pick you up? You see, a taker is the kind of person who's at the center of their universe. And their first thought is typically about them. Whereas a giver is the kind of person whose first thought is typically about you, 
or about others. You'll be able to tell whether a person's a giver or a taker by how they respond when they face a serious crisis, uh, when things don't turn out the way they planned, or when they don't get their way, or when someone or something interrupts their plans. A giver is humble, has a servant heart, tends to see and celebrate the good things in life, whereas a taker is proud, has a self-centered heart, and tends to see and complain all the time about all the negative things and all that's wrong with the world. Now, of course, we cannot expect a person to be perfect. There's no such creature on the planet. And if you're thinking um, and looking for Mr. or Miss Perfect, plan on being single the rest of your life. <laughs> Just settle that. But on the other hand, don't go to the other extreme and turn a blind eye to obvious character flaws you know are destructive and will drive you crazy. Mark my words, infatuation feels incredible for a year, maybe two, but at best will only show up in your marriage occasionally after that. On the other hand, bad character, if ignored, will stick to your marriage like a festering boil until the day one of you dies. All that to say... <laughs> if you know that there's some serious character issues that are sticking to your relationship like a festering boil... Don't let your fear of being alone stop you from making the right decision. Choose someone with godly character, always remembering that the key to finding the right person is fundamentally in being the right person. Now, some of you may be thinking, oh my goodness, I don't have a hope of marrying a person with good character because I lack good character in my life. Well, if you really feel that way, then I have good news for you. If you'll turn to Jesus and humbly confess your shortcomings to him, if you'll put your trust in him and invite him to invade your life and begin to transform your life from the inside out, he will do what you ask. Are you humble enough to do that? Because as you do, as you begin to read and meditate on the scriptures and faithfully ask, Lord, what are you saying to me? And Lord, what do you want me to do about it? And then you have the courage and the will to actually do what he asks you to do, to actually humble yourself when he challenges you to humble yourself in a given situation, to actually be generous when he says be generous, to actually uh, change your attitude and forgive or ask for forgiveness when he asks you to do that, over time, the Spirit of God will transform you into the image of Christ. You know, I still have so many areas in my life that I need to grow in, in my character, in my life, but I can say most of the positive growth that has occurred in my life and in my character that has had a huge impact um, on our marriage, but also on my ministry has been the result of me spending time in prayer 
asking God for his wisdom and direction and time in his word responding to the conviction he's brought to my heart, to the challenges he's given to me, and then responding to it. And God will do the same thing in your life as you pursue God and immerse yourself in his word. He will change your life and your character. And folks, that's going to impact all of your relationships, including your marriage. And then fourthly and finally, seek God in his kingdom and let God seek your mate. In Matthew 6, Jesus said, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. He says your number one priority needs to be about pursuing God and his agenda with all of your heart to trust him, to lean into him, to rest in him with respect to all the other stuff you're concerned about and maybe some things you're panicking about, including finding a marriage partner. Now, seeking first the kingdom of God doesn't mean we sit back and do absolutely nothing, assuming that God will miraculously bring his choice of a future mate to our door. Now, not that he's incapable of doing that, but I would say, based on Scripture, that's the exception rather than the rule. I mean, in Genesis 4, God didn't miraculously arrange to have Rebekah show up at Isaac's tent. She did show up at Isaac's tent, in his perspective, pretty miraculously, but only after God prompted Abraham to send a servant to go and find a suitable wife for his son Isaac. So seeking first God's kingdom doesn't mean we don't step out and do our part to make ourselves available to meet a potential mate. It doesn't mean we sit back and assume that God's going to do it all. No, seeking first the kingdom of God means that seeking a life partner is not the central focus or the consuming passion of our life. Loving Jesus, living all out for Jesus is the consuming passion of our life. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In other words, don't take matters into your own hands. No, be available to what God calls you to do. Go where God calls you to go. But at the core uh, of who you are, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. You know, over the years, I've witnessed men and women frantically seeking after a mate, leaning on their own understanding and failing miserable in their own efforts. And the reason is because their desire to find a marriage partner superseded their desire to submit and obey God totally. Now here's the thing. The more you take matters into your own hands and attempt to live your life your way rather than God's way, the more unattractive you will be as a person. Please hear me on this. You are never more attractive as a person than when you surrender your life completely to Jesus. Pursue a friendship with him and consciously seek first his kingdom 
and let him seek your mate. Years ago, a young woman in her 20s came to me in tears because her two-year dating relationship with a young man had just come to an end. She was totally devastated, had a pretty low self-image, was convinced that she would never find another like him. It was clear to me that her focus was in the wrong place. And so I said to her, you have a decision to make. Who are you going to trust? Are you going to trust Jesus? Or are you going to trust yourself and what our culture says? Trusting Jesus means he will have all of you. That you will surrender yourself totally to him. It means you will take the focus off yourself and your desires and you will put it on Christ instead. It means you will believe he has your best interests at heart. That you will trust him and what he says about who you are and what he says matters in life and no longer be a slave to how you look in the mirror or a slave to what others think about you or what you think others think about you. It means you will make the Lord the object of your highest affection and him alone. And I sent her away to reflect and to pray about all of this. Sometime later, she came to me. And I could just tell by the glow and the big smile on her face that something had changed. And she proceeded to tell me she had surrendered all to Jesus. And over the next two years, I saw the life of Jesus lived out in her life in an incredible way as she just loved Jesus and lived all out for him and gave her life away in love, in service to others. She became one of the nicest, most sought-after young women in our young adult group. Not because she was physically gorgeous, which she wasn't, but because the love, the joy, the peace of Jesus just oozed out of her life, making her incredibly attractive. Two years later, after she had surrendered her life totally to the Lord during a weekend getaway that she helped plan with our young adult group, she met the man who would one day become her husband. They eventually got married, they moved away, and six months later she looked me up and she basically said this, you know, Pastor Henry, the amazing thing is I was so absorbed into just loving and serving Jesus that finding my life mate wasn't even really on my radar the weekend that I was introduced to the man who would one day be my husband you know friends here's the thing when you seek God first when your number one passion and priority is to be on mission with him he will meet the desires of your heart when you least expect it sometimes God wants to meet the desires of your heart but he won't bless what you haven't committed to him. Whatever you refuse to commit to him will be the center of your greatest anxiety, your greatest frustration, your greatest hardship. My prayer is that each and every one of you will let go and let God lead 
your path from now on, determined to love and seek God and live all out for him and trust God to seek your mate. At this time, I want to introduce you to a young couple who are recently married right upstairs in our chapel. They're both passionate about Jesus. They're involved in leading one of our young adult ministries uh, here at Center Street called The Core. Um, He works for the city of Calgary. She's finishing her nursing degree at University of Calgary. I asked them to share their story, what their life was like when they were single, and why some of the biblical principles that I've touched on in this series has been pivotal and a blessing in their lives. So would you please welcome Andrew and Casey Fuel. Right here. Okay, thank you so much, Henry. Well, it's good to be here this evening. And um, like he said, my name's Andrew. This is Casey. And uh, we just got married. We were dating for a little bit over... Yeah, all right. Okay. So after dating a little bit over a year, we just got married, and it's, it's been a wonderful adventure. So we've been da- are married now for a little bit, what, 30 days or so? 30 days? So we thought we'd give you some marriage advice this evening. I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that. But um, we're, we, that would go terribly wrong. But um, we'd just like to share a little bit about ourselves, uh, how we met, and, and um, what life was like single, and, and how important it is for us to be spiritually compatible or how it's been such a blessing in our life. I can remember four years ago, or in 2012 actually, I got baptized here on this stage. God drastically changed my life. But one of the things God wanted me to do was, was to be single for a while. Uh, I, was, I was single for about four years, and God really wanted me to get to a place where my full trust was in Him, my identity was in Him, and I wasn't in the things of this world, and especially it wouldn't be in my future wife. Right? Because that would have been a complete mess. Um, I love her to death, though. I love her so much. <laughs> but if, I, if I'm putting her first and not God, I mean, it just won't work. Right? And so he wanted to get me to that, to that place. You know, there was always a desire for me to be with someone, but um, I, I truly got to a place in, in trusting God that if he wanted me to be single for the rest of my life, it would be the best thing for me. Um, or if he wanted me to be married, that he would provide a, a wonderful, godly woman, in, in which he did. So um, Christ is my anchor. He's our anchor. And because I've learned to put him first in my life while I was being single, and, and she has as well, um, when difficult co- times come or when, it, when a storm rises, um, we, don't, we don't wander in, in the sea to and fro. So, Yeah, and for me, um, during my early years of university, I was challenged by a friend um, who brought me across a passage where Paul described his singleness as a gift from God. It was really challenging for me because even though I would tell myself, I would tell others, I would tell God that I was content with being single in that season, um, really at the back of my mind, I had a belief and that someday, somewhere down the line, that God would most definitely bring along the husband I've been praying for all my life. And so it was really hard for me to consider that somebody would call singleness a gift. Um, And so after some time praying and searching my own heart and evaluating my own heart, God really showed me how I had been really looking to the future and looking forward to a husband to complete my life. 
um, when only Christ can bring me full joy and satisfaction. So I humbly came before the Lord and shared with him these honest desires of my heart, repenting of my own lack of trust in him, repenting of my own pride, my also very much entitled attitude. Um, and I surrendered these desires and acknowledged that he alone is my rock and only in him can I find fullness of joy and contentment. So it wasn't wrong for me. I learned that it wasn't wrong for me to have these desires. Um, but I, I became sidetracked when it became an idol in my life um, where I was essentially saying that Christ wasn't enough for me. Um, I was able to, once I was able to surrender these desires to Christ and fully trust in Him, I was able to experience, um, truly experience the abundant life that costed Christ everything to gift to me. Um, and when I trusted in Him with no conditions, um, I was able to be present in wherever he placed me. I was able to uh, allow him to grow me, equip me, and to use me for his glory. Fantastic, awesome. So Casey and I, we, we both met in an evangelism ministry, an outreach. And, and um, because we both shared similar interests in ministry, and we got along pretty well, I thought it would be a great idea for to ask her out on a date. And uh, we did. We went on a date after I got the go-ahead from the Lord. And a couple of cool things um, uh, that we experience uh, from being spiritually compatible is that when Casey and I are serving together or, or, or if God provides us an opportunity for us to share our faith with someone, it just goes natural of us working together and serving together and we complement one another. Um, and we're able to, to, to complete the assignment that God has called us to. I can remember it was one of us, one of us, one of our first dates that we went on and when we, when we became official, it wasn't Facebook official, but it was official. <laughs> it's not Facebook official, it's not official, but uh, we, <laughs> we, we, we went on a date and we got in the parking lot and there was a gentleman, there was a homeless man in the parking lot and he came and asked us for some spare change. And when someone asked me for spare change, I think it's a wonderful opportunity for me to share my faith. And so that's what we did. And we, in grace and love, we shared about the gospel, about Jesus, the hope that we have in him, and also gave him a Bible and asked if he needed any prayer. And it was so natural, and it felt so cool. A year later, we got married, and we just went on our honeymoon, and we had several opportunities to share the gospel with people. And um, it was just, it was very natural, and it was such a blessing. And when we do these things together, when we serve, when we um, share, share our faith with people, it actually brings us closer. And, um, yeah, it helps us work together better as a unit. So we spur each other on in the faith, and she helps me be, live a little bit more with grace because I need that. And um, I help her do the best I can to, to push her closer to Christ. Yeah, and for, as Andrew mentioned, we met one another through evangelism ministry um, as it was both of our passions and our visions for our life that we want to be living out our faith actively. Um, and that has been one of the most rewarding and meaningful parts of our relationship is that on a regular basis through everyday life, just the normal things and the rhythms of our, of our days, um, we're able to live out our faith together. Um, it's been just incredible to be on mission together. Um, as a couple, and um, we've been able to witness our relationship and our love for one another continuing to grow, um, and when we are surrendered to Christ. Um, and most importantly, through Andrew, I've experienced more of God's love for me, um, and he's 
really pushed me to grow more in my love for Christ. Um, just yesterday, in conversation with a few friends who are actually here today, um, I was reminded and gave thanks to God that our hope is in Christ and not in ourselves. Um, as Andrew and I share the same faith and same hope in Christ, we have the assurance that no matter what happens, what we go through in life, um, Christ, who is unchanging, who is trustworthy, who is the God who never fails, is always with us, that he holds our tomorrow, and he's the one who holds our marriage together. Amen. Thank you. And so, seek God, be on mission for God, let him take care of the rest. Amen? All right. Just want us to stand, and I just want you to take a moment now to open your hands to the Lord. To ask this question, Lord, what are you saying to me? Lord, what are you asking me to do about it? Thanks for listening. We hope this message has impacted you. We'd like to challenge you to take it one step further and get connected. For any questions or prayer, please visit our website at cschurch.ca. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter.